When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Pray with me. Father, we come before you to open up your word. We pray that your spirit would come and that you would teach us what you would have for us this day. To the glory of your son and to the betterment of your church. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. When I went on my first mission trip, I was serving in Ecuador on a short-term mission in the summer. And the missionary there, David, told me an interesting story that stayed with me the rest of my life. He said that on one occasion he was traveling into the jungle because there was supposed to be a wedding between two families. And there was a dispute about how the wedding was going to be handled and about whether alcohol would be served. And he was on a very important mission to go and meet with the two families and settle the matter and he had to travel by boat down this long river and then hop off and travel through the jungle to have this meeting to settle this issue so they could go on with the wedding. He had done this trip hundreds of times, and that day when he got in the jungle and started going down the trail, he got lost, and he could not find his way. And he went in circles and turned and went all over, over and over again, hour after hour after hour. And the more time that passed, the more indignant he became and the angrier he got at God. And he said, God, this is an important meeting. I need to be there for these people. Why of all days would you let me get lost this day? And he, he just kept going round and round and couldn't find his way until many hours had gone by. And then he finally found the trail again and walked into the village. People were there waiting for him, and they were very surprised to see him. And they said, we weren't expecting you. He said, one of the parties that was very mad at you had decided to ambush you and to kill you. And they had been waiting for you. A little while later, that party came in, and realizing that God had spared his life and got him lost so that he couldn't find his way, they realized that they were in the wrong. The parties made up and the matter were settled, and things were all right. But the point is that sometimes we get angry even at God when we don't understand his timing or the course that he sets for us, and it's not till later that we find out what's going on. The passage I just read in John is about Peter in a time of transition. The Lord Jesus had died and resurrected, and in between his resurrection and his ascension, there was a time, those 40 days, 
where I think Peter was not sure of where God was calling him to do anymore. He knew that he had had an immense failure in denying Jesus three times. And we see that the passage in this chapter starts with Peter and the disciples are around, and Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other guys followed him, and they went fishing. You know the story. They fished all night and caught nothing. And then in the morning, as day is breaking, they see a guy on the shore, on the beach, and it's Jesus, but they don't recognize it. And he says, hey, fellas, did you catch anything? And you can add the frustration of not having caught anything all night that now they have to answer this guy, no, we don't have any fish. And it's at that point that Jesus says, hey, put the net on the other side and you'll catch something. They do, and the catch is so big that the nets are full, upon which John immediately realizes that's the Lord. Peter, in his usual way of doing things immediately and without much thought, dresses and jumps into the water to go swim to where Jesus is. Now, this is a story that most of us know, and it points out some things about Peter. And I have to confess to you, other than Judas Iscariot, Peter was my least favorite disciple growing up. I just could not understand how Jesus picked this guy. I thought, this guy is always messing up. No matter what he did, he would do some amazing thing for God and five minutes later fall flat on his face and mess it all up. And it was like a roller coaster ride throughout his whole ministry. And I kept thinking, Jesus, like, are you sure this is going to be your leader? Are you sure that this is the right guy to lead this band of disciples? I, I looked at Peter and I thought, wow. You know, now, John, there's a guy, steady, quiet, and I didn't realize my mistake of thinking my personality type, my way of doing things, clouds my vision and didn't see the leadership style that Peter had. I have a few scenes that I want to mention to you about Peter's life to prove this point. Peter was a man that would be doing something good for God. He had a lot of enthusiasm, but it was one of those guys that just can't keep quiet, you know? Always has to be the first to speak. Always is like, oh, 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 I know the answer. Oh, oh, you know, <laughs> one of those guys. Except that sometimes he didn't engage his brain completely before he spoke. So we see in lots of occasions where G Jesus would be asking something and Peter would be responding and acting out, and his whole ministry is this big up and down, like good things followed by bad things. And this scene on the beach, to me, is Jesus restoring Peter to a place of leadership. Jesus giving Peter a second chance and recommissioning him. It's a reset. It's a transition in his life and Jesus wants to reaffirm him in his leadership. And he does it in a very curious way. Now, let me remind you about some of Peter's other incidents. And this is part of the reason why I thought, wow, this guy's like a roller coaster. He's kind of clownish sometimes. You remember on the ship where there was a storm and Jesus came walking out to the disciples and they were amazed. And Peter was the one who said, Lord, bid me come. Let me go out there with you. And I thought, wow, that's courageous. That's amazing. And Jesus said, come. 
And he stepped out of the boat and walked on the water for a few steps until you know what, right? He looked at the waves. He saw the storm. He lost faith and immediately started to sink. And Jesus pulled him up and saved him and said, oh, you a little faith. Peter was a man that would be prone to just extremes. On another occasion when they had also fished all night and caught nothing, and Peter was frustrated and Jesus was in the boat with him, and Jesus said, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? And Peter like, really? The carpenter is going to tell me how to fish? You know, I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. But in spite of that, he threw the nets on the other side, caught this great multitude of fish that the nets began to break. And his response was just as extreme as his being angry at Jesus for suggesting how to fish. Once he realized that Jesus knew what he was doing, that he was Lord over the oceans and the fish, he knelt down at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me because I'm an evil man. Jesus on this beach is showing Peter something. He's showing him that even though he wants Peter to acknowledge that he is a fallen man, just like I am, just like you are, that once you acknowledge that, Jesus doesn't want us to be separate from him. He wants to draw us into him because he is the only solution for our fallenness. Peter did a lot of silly things like that. On the occasion that was read in the scriptures before at Caesarea Philippi, his, Jesus' own reputation is growing, and he asks the question, who do people say that I am? And you heard the, the, the scriptures there. Everybody said a different thing, a prophet, priest, something else. But Peter is the one that answers, you're the son of God Almighty. And it's amazing to me the contrast that could come so quickly in Peter's life. One second, Jesus is blessing him for having gotten the right answer that was not humanly given. It was an inspiration of God to inform Peter's mind that this Jesus is the Son of God. That's the right answer. And Jesus says, you are blessed, Peter. And right there we see an amazing thing. He blesses Peter and says, your name will be Peter. And I'm going to build my church. And you're the rock. And I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And he gives Peter this authority in this place of authority among the disciples. Because he got the right answer. But... Just moments after, when Jesus goes on to give the further revelation that he's headed to the cross and to the suffering, what does Peter do? He says, I forbid it, Lord. I'm not going to let anyone touch you. You're my friend, and I'm going to cover for you. And Jesus' response is so strong and direct. Get thee behind me, Satan. One instance, he is the blessed of God because he got this revelation from the Father the next instance, Jesus is saying, move behind me. You're, you're in, satanically inspired in blocking my way to my purpose. It's the up and down of this life of Peter that amazes me. So we see episode after episode of Peter doing something great and then followed by something pretty dumb. But God working with him through all these things There's another episode that I want to touch on, and I want to touch on two parts. 
at their rest, when Jesus is about to be arrested, you know the story. Peter has fallen asleep while Jesus is praying and is not well prepared for the encounter that's coming. And when the people in the mob come to arrest Jesus, you know, Peter wakes up from his sleep, realizes what's going on, and immediately draws a sword to defend his friend, to defend his Lord. And he goes to strike off the guy's head. Thank God he was a fisherman and not a soldier because he missed. And that servant of the high priest was very thankful. And Jesus said, put your sword back where it belongs. That's not how I want you to react to what's going on. He said, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. That's not the sword that you should be using. Peter gets corrected there. But a little while later in the message, I will come back to that scene. I want to touch on this beach scene because I think it's a scene that sets the course for the rest of Peter's life. And I think it's a scene that might have something to inform us about today. For me, I feel like we're getting called to a new place. After 14 years of being here at Redeemer, it's time for us to go. And God has got something that he's called me to do. Jesus, before he left this earth, made sure that he commissioned Peter back to his position. And he did it in a way that was not very pleasing. Peter, you remember, had denied Jesus three times. In his arrogance and pride, he had said, even if all these other disciples fail you, I will not, even if it's to the death. And Jesus prophesied, yes, you will fall. And, Jesus, and Peter argued with the Lord. Can you imagine? Oh, have we never done that? Well, in our hearts we have. I know I've been arguing, Lord, shouldn't we be staying here? Shouldn't we be close by? God's got a different plan. So Jesus was used to Peter arguing with him, and he reassured him, yes, you will fall. You will deny me three times before the cock crows. And sometimes I think, wow, Peter really blew it again. Peter, in his arrogance and pride, thought that he was better than the other disciples, made a claim to be better than everybody else. And Jesus said, I'm going to prophesy something that's going to happen. And Peter said, no way is that going to happen. I'm better than that. But we see that shortly thereafter, when the things got going and got tough, Peter did, in fact, deny him three times and said, I don't even know that guy. He's not my friend. I don't know him. And the cock crowed. Has a cock ever crowed in your life? Because it has in mine. So often we do stuff that we say we're going to stand up for Jesus and do the right thing and say the right words and the opportunities come right into our lives like a slow ball being pitched right down the middle of the plate. And we just watch it go by. Sometimes we don't even swing. I do that a lot. There's opportunities that come my way where I should say the right word or tell someone about Jesus' love, and we're too timid, too afraid, too embarrassed. An opportunity to do the right thing for someone that's in need, and we're scared to offer our help and our assistance, and we let it go. And I wondered if we would hear a, 
in our minds, a cock crowing. Here, you blew another one. And yet, Jesus wasn't done with him. He knew that he would fail. And that's what it took to get Peter to realize his pride and arrogance. And Jesus now on the beach wants to remind Peter that before that he could be set back on the right course, there's some business to take care of. Jesus was not going to let Peter go with that. That's okay. You're just human. Everybody fails. Jesus builds a charcoal fire. And for those of you that study the New Testament, the charcoal fire phrase is only used twice in the New Testament. Once was when there was a charcoal fire and they were warming their hands as Jesus was being questioned by the high priest when Peter denied him three times. Second time on the beach, Jesus charcoal fire. And he says, do you have any fish? No. And they catch the fish and Peter dives in and swims to the shore. And when he gets there, there's a charcoal fire and there's a fish there and there's bread there. And Jesus asks these questions after breakfast. Hey, Peter, do you love me? And there's a couple curious things about that account. When he asks the three questions, he says, Simon, son of John. Wait, I thought Peter was his new name, wasn't it? Wasn't Simon, son of John, his old name that he used to go by? Yes. Three times Jesus addresses him as Simon, son of John. As a reminder, I called you. You were blessed to God. I changed your name, but now you're not sure where you're going, and I want to reinstate you. And three times he asks this question, and three times Peter asks yes. A curious thing about the first time is that Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why would he say more than these? I think there's two possible answers. The first one is that Peter in his arrogance had said, I will never fail you even if all the other disciples fail you. I'm going to stand firm even above anybody else. He thought he was better than everybody else. So Jesus may very well be asking, Simon, do you love me? more than these other fellows that are hanging out here with us? You know what Peter does? He doesn't answer anything about more than these. He just says, yes, I love you. Now there's a second thing that he could have meant by more than these. And I think this is an interesting thing. Before them, there was a charcoal fire and Jesus had told them to bring some of the fish they had caught and they were having breakfast and eating fish. And maybe the these is not just the disciples, Maybe the these is, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than your profession of fishing? Because in the middle time, in that transition time where Peter wasn't really sure what to do, he said, I'm going fishing. That's my profession. That's what I've always done. But you remember the call of Jesus to Peter, right? Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And at this time of transition, Peter, not being sure, he said, let's go fishing and the other guys followed him. And maybe Jesus is saying, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than what you're comfortable with? And I think, you know, in my entrepreneurial way of thinking, I think, wow, this would have been a great opportunity. I could just see it now, Peter and some of the other guys might be thinking, hey, let's do the Jesus and Peter fishing company. 
we'll catch a bunch of fish and we'll evangelize people as we sell them fish. And this could be a win-win. Yeah. This could be like, we'll catch fish and we'll catch men. And we'll put these two things together. And Jesus is saying, do you love me more than the disciples? Or do you love me more than these fish in your profession? Because I called you to leave that and to become a fisher of men. I think it's easy to get caught up in the things of this world and sometimes we kind of want to work it both ways and get a win-win out of things. And if God's got a clear calling on your life that's to be this way in this profession, that's fine. But sometimes when we feel like God's called us to be a fisher of men, it's good to do that with all our time. For those that are called to vocational Christian ministry, it's a neat thing to be able to say, my vocation, my calling is to serve God with all my heart, with all my time. I am grateful to God that he's finally opened the door for us, for my family, to back, be back in full-time serving God. I am thankful to the men that made it possible for my family to survive the last three years, to Scott MacArthur and to Brian Hines and to Blair Burke. They offered me a, a job so that I could, while I was working at Redeemer part-time, could sustain my family. You know that God calls some people to do uh, tent making, to do bivocational work. And, and that's good. Paul was a tent maker. Peter was a fisherman for a while. But some people are called to full-time work. And I'm grateful that God has opened that door again for me. So we see that Peter is being asked these tough questions and he's answering, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But one of the things that I think is important from this scripture for us to see is that God wants to reinstate Peter, but he can't do it without a very direct confrontation of his failure. He can't just let it go. He can't just give him the easy way out. He said, you failed me and denied me three times. Now I want you to affirm me three times and to make sure that you love me. I'm going to ask you this question three times. The text says that on the third time he asked, Peter was grieved. I would be grieved too. Peter was grieved because he realized, oh, the charcoal fire, the three denials, now the three questions. And it reminds us that Jesus doesn't make it easy, but he makes it simple. And following Christ is not always a simple thing. Sometimes it gets harder as you go. But it is a blessed thing. And so we see that Peter answers the question three times. And Peter has to wrestle with his failure face to face. I, I hate confrontation. <laughs> I'm not good at it. And, and yet I learned that sometimes the only path forward is a hard path of facing our mistakes and facing our failures face to face, not denying them or minimizing them, but facing them. I don't know if God is using this to speak to you, but there may be someone here with an unresolved conflict with someone. Don't let that sidetrack your ministry. Don't let that derail the way you're going. Jesus took the time to 
affirm this man by confronting him with his failure. And once he, had, he was humble and understood that he was not better than the other disciples and that he was, did not have more love for the fish than he did for Jesus, Jesus was able to set him on the path of restoring him to being the one that tended and cared for the sheep that he was going to leave. Now, these words that Jesus says at the end, this prophecy about the way that Peter was going to glorify God are interesting words. He said, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted, you dressed as you wanted, you made your own choices, you did whatever you thought was right. But as you get older and as you go on, other people are going to make those decisions for you and lead you where you don't want to go. John adds in parentheses, this signified the way that Peter was going to glorify uh, God and Jesus in his death. And we know, historically speaking, it is told that he was martyred for the cause. Jesus called Peter to a hard thing. We, sometimes in our culture, and I know I'm prone to this, is that the longer we serve God, the easier we want it to get. We, we say, hey, Lord, we've been serving you a while. Can you give me a nice, easy job? And sometimes it's not that way. The way of the cross is not easy. You remember the time where Jesus asked Peter and Johns and James to pray for him at the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was going to face his darkest hour. And three times Jesus prayed to the Father, is there another way? Is there, can this cup pass from me? Is there another way to accomplish what I'm going to do? And the answer was obviously no. There is no other way. Peter and the disciples failed Jesus by not staying alert and praying. And yet Jesus stood the test by himself right there in that garden, intensely praying to God so much so that his sweat became like blood. And in those three answers that God gave him, they said, there is no other way. It, this is the only way. We see that Jesus was ready to face the torment of being separated from his father as he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. It's amazing to me what was happening at those moments and how Jesus prepared and was ready to face all that was coming to him. And to me, it's not a coincidence that Jesus prayed this prayer three times. If someone tells you that doing God's will is easy, I'm going, you haven't had read this scripture. <laughs> you haven't read this Bible. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't easy for Peter. It wasn't easy for Paul. And if it's easy for us, then maybe we're not doing all that we've been called to do. This world is becoming a more and more dangerous place where religions are pitted against each other and some believe that the ultimate calling is to kill for their God. Jesus says the ultimate calling is to serve your neighbor and even to die for them. What a contrast. What a contrast between a false demonic religion and the truth of God. We're not called to kill people for God. We're called to serve and love people and the greatest love is a sacrifice. That's what Jesus was readying himself to do. And that's what Jesus was calling Peter to do. He was saying, Peter, you may not like where you end up. It's not going to be easy. 
but it's simple, follow me and, and I will lead you. I want to end with another scene from Peter's life that we haven't read, but it's a contrast to the scene of Peter's failure at the Garden of Gethsemane. At the Garden of Gethsemane, when the betrayer comes up and Peter pulls his sword out and slashes off the guy's ear, Peter is told, that's not the sword. That's not the way I want my disciples to live. We don't go around cutting people's heads off or striking their ears. That's not what I'm intending to do. A few days after this encounter on the beach, Jesus knew very well that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And in that day when the Holy Spirit is poured out, we see the disciples and Peter stand and give an account for what's going on, for the speaking in tongues. And Peter preaches, preaches the first sermon after Pentecost, and some miraculous things happen there. He gives an account who Jesus was and what happened. He gives an account that it was prophesied from the Old Testament that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was going to come. He prophesied from the Old Testament and from David that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and suffer and die and be resurrected on the third day. And he very clearly said, this is what happened. We are witnesses of that. And Jesus did come back on the third day and conquered death. And the people heard it. And Peter was very clear, the guy that God approved, the guy that, the guy that God sent and predestined to come and to suffer for us, you killed. You crucified him. I sent my messenger, my beloved son, and you turned him over to the hands of angry Gentiles and had him put to death. Can you imagine being told, the one and only Son of God came. What did you do with him? We killed him. Oops, I think we messed up. And those guys were cut to the quick when Peter announced, this is the man who got approved by miracles, and we turned him over, and he died. It was God's predestined plan, but the guilt is on the people that put him on that cross and the scripture says in Acts that they were cut to the quick. That they were cut in their hearts when they realized that they had crucified the Son of God. Peter convinced them with many other words and many believed. But cut to the quick is a word that describes sword. And the sword is, as Hebrew tells us, the sword of the Spirit. As the Apostle Paul says, it's part of the armor. It's a two-edged sword that can cut through different things. And now Peter is preaching with loving and direct words. And it's not a physical sword that cuts off ears and heads. It's a sword of the Spirit that lets people know we sinned and God the Son died for us and now there is redemption and forgiveness. And Peter is now using a sword that Jesus would want him to use the sword of the Spirit. And people are converted. People are being told, this is what happened in the history. This man died and came back, and we are his witnesses that we've seen him come back alive. He conquered death. In that passage in Acts, 
Peter talks about how God predestined Jesus to die and turned him over to death, but that death could not hold him. I love those verses. Death could not hold him. Jesus, the Son of God, a real man, had to die to pay the penalty for our sins. But as he died, death could not hold him, grip him down in Hades or in the, in the grave. You know, it's an astonishing thing. If we said that we wanted to put out the sun and thought of a way of taking all the water on this earth and dumping it on the sun, we know that that would not work. That all the water in this world would not even drench one little drop of the sun's power. They really thought that they were ending Jesus for good. But guess what? He died a death, and then his death, he paid the price, but death was swallowed up by his life. I have said it before, that in the old sacrificial system, the fire consumed the sacrifice, but in here, when the true Lamb of God comes, the Lamb consumes the fire. He takes up the whole wrath of God upon himself. And he extinguishes it. And he says, the list of your sins is wiped away. Do you remember what the high priest would do every year? Once a year, the sacrifice. And he would go into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his leg. And he would go in there and sprinkle the blood. The blood that had the testimony of the sin laid upon the lamb before it was slain. That written on the curtain as everything was sprinkled was the sins that were confessed. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the high priest who entered into another sanctuary. And when he entered in, he had no rope tied around his ankle. He wasn't going to die again. And in his physical death on this world, he entered in that holy of holies and he sprinkled not the blood of goats and rams and bulls, but his own. And here we are talking about racial strife in our country and black against white and other races against each other. And some think there is a pure blood. There's this race that's better than others. There is only one pure blood. It's Jesus Christ's pure blood. And when he walked into that holy of holies and in essence sprinkled his blood on that sanctuary, guess what it did? No one could have foretold it except God knew it all along that when you sprinkle holy, pure blood on the testimony of all that sin, it washed it away. Amen. That is the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ. He washed away the record that was against it. Can you imagine Satan as an accusing attorney having a bill of all your sins? And some lower demon saying, hey, guess what? The testimony is gone. There's no accusing bill of sins anymore. It's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Wow. And to think that his human death could do that, obviously he's God in the flesh incarnate for us to pay the price. And after he died, and after he suffered on that cross, and he said, it is finished, God broke 
that curtain that separated us and him and paid the price for us so that there is no more testimony against you if you're his. The sins are gone. Jesus paid it. And Satan is defeated and he came back. And his life swallows up death and it cannot extinguish it. So he says to Peter, Peter, follow me. Tend to the sheep, feed them, strengthen them. Because you are being recommissioned. You are being put back in this leadership role because I have all authority and I did all the hard work for you. Now you follow in my footsteps. It's a time of transition for a redeemer. And if God has called us and my family to a good thing, then he will call the right man here. And he will continue to do a good thing here. I am convinced that a good move for us cannot be a bad move for y'all. God doesn't work that way. The coin that he does in moving us out has two good sides. If it's good for us, it's good for Redeemer. And I am assured that God will soon bring the right people here that will move this church forward. Pray. Be diligent. But prepare yourselves for the new person. Don't just sit back and say, when he comes, everything will be all right. Prepare and keep working and keep doing the good things. We have been blessed to have Dr. Milton come, and he is a transitional pastor who has helped me and all the staff and everybody, all the elders, continue to pray for him. And God will do amazing things in the future, Redeemer. There's a lot of work to be done, and there's a lot of things to be happen here. I want to close with one last thing. A few weeks ago, I sat in this auditorium. It was the graduation of my son, Christian, to go into middle school. This place was filled, and about half the people here were Hispanic. From Sardis Elementary, it filled this whole place. Now, you know, we did the work for a while here, and we had to finish that work, but they're still surrounded by Hispanics here. Now, one thing that I noticed that was different about the people here that was different than when we started the Spanish War is that everybody that was here spoke English. The language barrier is going down and the people are around us and still need to hear the gospel. So I remind you that don't forget that the Hispanics and other people of other races are here by. Don't forget to love on them and reach out to them. So I finish with these ideas that Peter was set back on the course of leadership after a hard confrontation. Peter was set to go forward. As we get ready to go forward, I want to leave you with a reminder. The scripture that opened up the service was from the Psalms, and it says, we go out weeping but sowing, and we will return one day with sheaves. We hope to have a harvest, and we hope that you have a harvest. I have a set of seeds in a basket here. And after the service, I would love for you guys to come down and take a packet per family to be reminded that we sow as we go, that in everyday situations, don't let them pass by. Love on people. Tell them about God. Invite them to your groups and love on them so that they can know what precious things Christ has done for us. Set us free from sin so that we can serve him and glorify God. 
C.S. Lewis has a quote that I'd like to end with. He said that the glory of God is the saving of human souls, and that is the real business of life. Glorify God by sharing Christ and saving souls. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this day because Jesus was a good shepherd and he came and he gave his life for his sheep. Lord, we thank you that he conquered death and that Peter was able to tell that story on Pentecost and that you set him as a leader, faults and all, just like me. But Lord, you taught me what a great man he was. He walked on water. He took uh, dangerous steps and ultimately he gave his life for the service of your flock and for the enlargement of your church and your kingdom. I pray that you would uh, allow Redeemer, everyone under the sound of my voice, to, to be moved to love better and to reach out more and to grow this church. Lord, thank you for all the service, uh, 14 plus years of service uh, that this church has had in this community. Multiply its fruit and allow rich harvest to come in. Repay all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ernesto would say in the end he he started with the gospel and he's he's finishing dependent on the gospel and it's a great reminder for us and we're going to close with a song but then a, a prayer time for Ernesto so I wanted to have the elders if they would come down during this final song so that we can pray for him oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God How unsearchable His judgments How untraceable His paths Who knows the mind of our God Who can bring counsel to Him Who has given to God that God should repay for from him through him to him is everything to God be the glory forever and ever to God be the glory forever amen oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments, how untraceable His paths. Who knows the mind of our God? Who can bring counsel to Him? Who has given to God? The God should repay for from.
Yeah, Ernesto's family would come up too. We'd like to pray for y'all. Rest of the elders, if y'all will come around and lay hands on his family too. Father, thank you for the Fernandez family. They have blessed our presence from day one in so many different ways, uh, from just even the preaching today, uh, backing up to um, their influence in our community and the reminder to be a witness to all nations in our, that are in our community to adoption and the encouragement that, that even our family has gotten from uh, Awara and Ernesto on um, bringing others into our family and uh, that it is your sovereign will, Lord Jesus. And thank you for the good word by Ernesto that what is good for them is good for us and that that is hope with hope that um, you are moving in your kingdom. You're always moving your servants around. That is a sure thing that there will be transition of community consistently and that you're transitioning them from this community to another so that they could be a blessing. I think through the scriptures the old, in the Old Testament, the Psalms, it says dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And I pray as you are having them go to a new land to dwell, that they would cultivate faithfulness. Holy Father, what a joy it is to see you move amongst us and, and send forth this family into the broader reaches of your kingdom to serve. And God, as they go, we ask that your blessing will reside upon the Fernandez family as they serve in northern Illinois and allow us to experience the strengthening of this bond that connects our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Almighty God, you are the sending God. You sent your only begotten Son to live the life we couldn't live and die a death that should have been ours, as we have heard preached so clearly and so well. You demonstrated the call and response in your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, in the prophets, in the apostles, in the fathers, in two millennia of faithful gospel ministers who have left all to follow you. You anticipated the difficulty of leaving and following you when you promised that all who would leave home and sister and brother and the, the hearth and the familiar would receive in this life and the next. And so we pray for Ernesto and Aurora and their family, that they may receive an abundantly new and blessed family in northern Illinois that awaits them. And I ask, Lord, that there may be friends who become brothers and sisters and, yes, fathers and mothers to them. Especially do we pray for the children that they may know 
new friends quickly that they may know the blessing of the church on their lives in that community. And Father, we pray for the preaching of the word and for the shepherding of our pastor and our friend Ernesto, that in his shepherding and proclamation of the word, that there will be many who will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and there will be many of the saints who will be comforted as we are, we are and have been even today. And we ask, O oh Heavenly Father, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be upon this family and the extended family, and that you will protect them from the evil one, that you will guard them, and that you will strengthen them, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be upon them for blessing as they go. And now we commend them to thee, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Let me finish with a benediction from the scriptures that we were just reading and singing. Romans. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. For